Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. We're doing a series and we've called it uh, Grow Up. Um, So please don't take offence at that. Um, And uh, it's really all about how, move my bottle, how relationships are key to spiritual growth. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that sometimes growth seems quite fast. It seems like you take a lot of steps in growth. And sometimes it feels like nothing much is happening. Um, And so I want to talk about kind of seasons of growth and how, like, if you cut down a tree, you can see how some years you've got some real good seasons of growth. Um, So here, that's where it was like a a good spring. This is going to go into science mode. Good spring, summer, lots of growth there. Um, The darker lines are where um, it's dormant in the wintertime. So here, not so much growth over this kind of seasons there. And um, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like we're learning the same things again and again, already slow to learn stuff. And God's very gracious and patient with us and says, okay, let's go over that one again. And it's like, okay, I'm going to get it this time. And uh, spiritual growth is so key to what it means to follow Jesus. And we all have seasons that impact our spiritual growth. Sometimes we feel like we're taking steps forward. Sometimes it feels like we're a little bit dormant. And growth happens in loving, caring, joyful families. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But if a family is loving and caring and joyful, children grow. They thrive in those sort of environments. And last week we talked about how our families have influenced us. And today I want to really talk about the family of God, of how we can be a community where people can thrive and grow where we can create an environment where we can have seasons of growth that really help people grow deeper in their relationship with God and grow in spiritual maturity. But in the midst of that, recognize that there are still seasons where life is tough. Um, There's a book about emotionally healthy church by Peter Scazzaro, and he talks about the difference between emotional infants, emotional children, (coughs) emotional adolescents, and emotional adults. And so through this series, we're looking at how do we move from being infants in our maturity, in our spiritual maturity, our emotional maturity, to being adults. So infants, he talks about how they look for others to take care of them. They have, um, they're driven by a need for instant gratification. I don't know if you ever noticed that about an infant. It's like, no, feed me now. Um, and then emotional children, they're content and happy as long as they tend to get what they want. And we talked about that a little bit last week with the different six different areas of emotional maturity. Emotional children tend to be easily hurt. They unravel quickly from stress or disappointments or trials. Um, sometimes emotional children might complain, withdraw, or become sarcastic when they don't get their way. I don't know what he's talking about there. Emotional adolescents tend to be very defensive. Uh, they're threatened and alarmed by criticism. They can sometimes deal with conflict quite poorly. They can also be quite critical and judgmental. 
emotional adolescence, and don't look at any adolescents in the room, um, can be quite preoccupied with themselves. And we have those people in church, as in we can all be preoccupied with ourselves at times. And so growing up is becoming adults um, as followers of Jesus. So emotional adults, Pete Scazzera says, are able to ask for what they need, want or prefer, clearly, directly and honestly. They recognise, manage and take responsibility for their own stuff. They can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. They respect others without having to change them. They give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. They have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we create that sort of environment where we can become emotionally spiritual adults in a family like this? Okay? So that's, that's where we're going with this. There's a person called Dallas Willard, and he's been a real influence in my life because he challenges me to be a better pastor. He challenges or challenged me uh, in, for over decades of what does it mean to actually lead a community, a family of God in spiritual growth. He says this, community is central to spiritual formation in Christ. It is not an individual thing. And I don't know if you've ever found those sort of individual Christians that don't really want to do church because it's too uncomfortable or they've fallen out with people or whatever reason it is, but they want to do following Jesus, but on their own terms. I would argue they're still in that infant, child, adolescent stage because part of being an adult is being able to be in community with people that you might disagree with. Dallas Willard says, uh, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community. It's what we, pray, what we sang earlier, dwell in the midst of us. With himself included in that community, and get this, as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. That we're not just a church but we are the family of God, that we're called to be a community. We're called to be a family. And we might have families that have messed us up, but we're called to be a family of God and become mature and become more like Jesus in a loving community where we're, we, have, we have kind of a loyalty and allegiance to one another. So community is central, uh, and it's in community that we grow best, in those loving, joyful, caring families. And community is where character is formed. It's where kind of loving attachments and the values of our com community kind of drive our character. So what does it mean to be the family of God? Unfortunately, what's kind of crept into church is that if you just think the right things, then you will grow. And we tend to ignore the whole just the importance of teaching people to love by creating loving communities. We tend to neglect the importance of creating really the soil for people to grow in. When we start making it more about gathering enough information, we lose the ability to actually bring transformation. And so spiritual formation is really the central task of any local church. It's the primary responsibility that Jesus gives us leaders 
And our job as pastors, first and foremost, is to build the character of Jesus into other people's lives, to help you become more like Jesus. And so we focus on changing people on the inside, equipping people to grow up. Um, Another commentator, Todd Bolsinger, says, leadership is energizing a community of people towards their own transformation in order to accomplish a shared mission in the face of a changing world. Leadership is always relational. It's focused on a community of people who exist to accomplish a shared mission. And so if you kind of think, well, Nick, what are you, what's kind of your job description? It's really kind of two main things. One is make disciples, and one is equip those disciples to become more and more like Jesus. So Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I don't know if you ever noticed, but there's quite a few people sometimes in some churches who are not actually becoming more like Jesus. They're not actually kind of doing the things that Jesus did or said. And their character is not, much, is not changing all that much. They're maybe sort of staying around that kind of infant, child, adolescent stage. And they're failing to grow up. Maybe you're one of them. I hope not. Uh, we put a lot of thought into creating an environment where you can thrive, where you can grow up, where you can actually behave and act like Jesus in any situation, where it becomes kind of the obvious, natural thing for you to do rather than a, oh, no, what would Jesus do in this situation? But it's like an effortless, you naturally do the things that Jesus would do because you're becoming more mature. So how do we create this kind of family? How do we create this kind of community which creates disciples? One of um, Dallas Willard's most um, challenging questions for us as leaders is, what is your plan for making disciples? And is it working? So do we have a plan for making disciples? And if you ever come to a Connect lunch, I think that should be the first question on any person's lips. What is your plan for making disciples? And secondly, is it working? Are you becoming more like Jesus day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year? And if not, then how can this family of God come alongside you and equip you and help you to become more like Jesus? One of the things I've noticed recently is I can't change that, that I can't change other people as much as I would like for them to change. But what I can do is change myself. And I think that's a great truth there. If we start changing ourselves and being responsible for our own piece of the pie that we talked about last week, that's when we start to see change. So I wonder if we could um, look at, you know, how do we grow up together? And we're going to look at uh, if Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. And so Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and they're a pretty amazing church. Um, They they kind of get what it means to love one another, but they're also, you know, Paul's reminding them about being reconciled to each other, and then here he's talking about creating a community where people are growing up. And so he's in prison, and he's writing to them to encourage them. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
He says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We once had somebody uh, who that make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. They kind of weaponized that a little bit because they weren't getting their own way. Um, and so we had a, quite a long, robust conversation around making every effort. And so on my part, it's like making every effort to try to own my own piece of the pie. But from their part, it's like, no, you need to do what I want you to do to keep the bond of the peace. So we just need to kind of think through, well, what does make every effort mean? What, what is our responsibility to that? In the message version, Eugene Peterson says this, steadily pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Then in verse 4, Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to be to, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Paul goes off on this kind of like, you know, he's really kind of, you know, worshipping God. Again, uh, Eugene Peterson translates it as this. He says, you are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. God is in all of this. And then in verse 7, Paul's kind of worship kind of picks up a little bit, but he's trying to set some foundations for what he's going to say next. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To be a family of God, we need grace for one another. Because this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. I'm not going to kind of expound on that too much, but I think what the picture is, is, is similar to um, Moses going up the mountain back in the Exodus and then coming back with the law, where Jesus goes up, um, whether he came down, and there's, a big, there's another sermon there, went down into hell and then you know, set people free and then gives gifts to his people. And so he's got a strange little bit here in verse 9, 10, which says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. So instead of going up the mountain and bringing back the law, Jesus returns and gives us the Holy Spirit. And then verse 11, so he's setting up for verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there it is. That's the kind of the maturity. That's the growing up part. And Paul is specifically directing this teaching to leaders, to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that their, their main responsibility is to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's not simply about learning stuff. It's about becoming more like Jesus. Becoming like the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The goal is, is discipleship. And the goal of discipleship, when it fulfills its purpose, is maturity. Robert Mulholland, as we remember, looked at the Invitation to a Journey book, uh, maybe sort of last autumn. He says, spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So what Paul's saying here is, what a family of God, what a body of Christ is about, is equipping the saints, equipping everyone for works of service so that we become mature and become more like Jesus. Then he says, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, which has sometimes been misused, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So one final little extra bit from Eugene Peterson. He says, no prolonged infancies among us, please. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Okay, so a huge amount of stuff. We could could spend weeks on this. We're not going to do that. We did do a series on Ephesians fairly recently. But the main thing is, remember about that diagram? So infants, children, adolescents, adults. Where do you see that direction in what Paul is saying here? He's saying that we're we're no longer going to be infants. That if we create this, this community where people are equipped for service, where people are helped to become more mature, then we go from being infants to adults. So you might say, well, Nick, how do we do that? There's a whole load of kind of Bible stuff, there's a whole load of theology. What are some simple steps that create kind of the, the soil in which we can grow and become mature? Because a lot of churches, a lot of families are trying to grow in depleted soil. The, the, the kind of the relational nutrients are kind of run down and exhausted. If you're constantly stressed, if you're constantly busy, if you're constantly fearful, then it won't create the environment for you to grow and become more like Jesus. So I suggest there's two things that we as a community can focus on. One is becoming a joy-filled family. See, joy helps us regulate our emotions, even when we're going through seasons that are tough. See, Jesus refused to relinquish joy in the midst of his suffering on the cross. 
when we're able to stay relationally connected to others and God, we experience joy even while we might go through a difficult time, even when we might suffer. Joy doesn't remove our pain, but it gives us the strength to endure. Joy helps us feel like we belong. Joy helps us become more stable when things go wrong. When we're filled with joy, it's easier to be ourselves. When there's joy, we feel free to share our hearts with God and others. If we want to be um, a church that fulfills the Great Commission, we have to turn our churches into joy-filled environments where people come in and experience that joyful, loving family, where we create a community where our faces light up when we see each other. Do you remember we talked about the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face turn towards you? And we talked about that when we did the Holy Spirit series just recently, that his face lights up when he sees you. On a Sunday in your life group, does your face light up when you see other members of your family? I think when we were in this room after COVID and we were trying to make this space happen, it was quite tough at times. And it was a new environment. Everyone had a job to do. We were trying to adapt from how we used to do kind of live stream and then trying to simplify stuff. And I think we all had a job to remember. We all had a job to do. And as we came in, it didn't always feel like a joy-filled environment. And people pick up on that. Somebody said it doesn't, doesn't feel like a, you know, a, a nice community because we were so focused. And it's like, right, we need to put a stop to that. We need to simplify things. We need to pull the plug on the live stream aspect um, for not a whole load of reasons. But let's get back to what it means to be a joy-filled community. Our community is contagious when people come and see how we love one another and how we care for one another and how we love spending time with each other. And we're going to return to this in September when we focus on a a series we're going to call Return to Joy. Um, I've been playing around with this for maybe a year or so, just trying to think through when do I, I do this because it's something that's been really different in my own life of how do I return to a place of joy when life is really, really tough. So that's kind of a sneak peek for September. I think it starts when we practice kind of the, kind of the muscles of gratitude, when we're actually thankful for stuff, when we're grateful for things. That's how joy really starts to ignite. So in our, in our life group on a Tuesday night, we always start with, what are you thankful for? And if we can spend a couple of minutes, even a couple of minutes each day, just saying, this is what I'm thankful for, it starts to develop um, joy in our lives. So that's the first thing, a joy-filled family. Secondly, a love-filled family. And you might go, oh, yeah, of course, you know, it's going to be love there somewhere because we're supposed to love. But Jesus once commented that anyone who loves me, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Now, what's amazing about that is what comes first. It's not obey me and I will love you. 
It's love me and then you will obey. Love comes first. We always obey out of a place of love. And there's a, a Hebrew word that carries this, this sense of a, kind of an enduring connection that brings life and all good things into a relationship. And it's called uh, hesed. Sometimes it has a C at the beginning of it. It's this enduring, unconditional, faithful, compassionate love. So in the Old Testament, it's often called hesed. In the New Testament, it's often called agape. And hesed is a, a kind and loyal care for the well-being of one another. It's the equivalent of what neuroscientists, so brain specialists and psychologists, would call relational attachment. It's loving kindness. And our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments. It's where we grow character. It's where we develop our, our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. And we become like what or who we love. So this word um, agape is also a kind of obscure Greek word and until Christians started using it. Um, and Paul um, found agape almost like an, an inadequate word to convey what he meant. And so he took the whole of 1 Corinthians 13, which if you're going to a wedding this summer, you'll probably hear about 1 Corinthians 13. He spends the whole of that trying to explain what love is, to fill in the meaning of this simple word agape. It was as though he was trying to expand abacate to include what came naturally with this word hesed. There's a link between these two. So character develops through relationships, and they're these hesed agape relationships. These relationships that can handle times when things go wrong, those dormant, winter, difficult moments. That kind of secure hesed attachment can ride through storms and remain loving. <coughs> so in the book of 1 John, he just goes off on this whole thing of, of love and light and what it means to follow Jesus. And he says in 1 John 3 verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. We did this when we had communion earlier. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See, God desires to lavish his love on his children. And what I want to suggest is that we are a spiritual family glued together by our Father's love. I would love for our community to be joy-filled, but also love-filled, that there's a, a care for one another that's like this relational glue. There's an attachment to one another. See, if the central task of the church is to create a community of transformed disciples, we would expect Jesus' teaching to emphasize this kind of the centrality of love. And he's always talking about love. He's always talking about love one another. And when he was asked about what's the most important thing to do with the law, what's the most important law, he went to these things we have on these banners here. Firstly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. So when people were asking about what we need to do, what's the law require, Jesus made it relational. He made it all about love. And Paul kind of expounds on this kind of 
family nature of our bond with God in, in Romans 8. And he says that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit t- himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we don't have to wait until we die to experience our heavenly family. Jesus desires his, his church to operate as a family here on earth. There was a time when Jesus was teaching a, a crowd of people and someone said, Jesus, you, your mum and your brothers and sisters have come and they want to speak with you. And he's like, well, who is my mother? And who is my brother? Which must have gone down quite well at home. <laughs> Says, and they, but pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus began, he inaugurated a a heavenly family of brothers and sisters who are attached to him and attached to one another. And as a young man, Peter would have heard those words of Jesus saying, this is my family, this is my, my people. Then many years later, as an older man, Peter would talk to all these dispersed Christians in 1 Peter 2, 17 and 5, 9 and call them a family of believers. Peter understood that we are the family of God. We're bound together as brothers and sisters and parents and children. In the book of Hebrews, it says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We can't separate loving God and loving people. The two things are connected. You cannot separate those two loves. So John, in this second passage here, says, um, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And at the end, 1 John 5, 2 says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So all the doing stuff of church always comes out of a place of love, not out of a place of duty and responsibility. And so as a family, we are to create a loving, nurturing, caring family. So, some next steps. I want to suggest that maybe you spend some time this week having a read of John 15. So we talked about love, we talked about attachments, and this is where, John, where, where Jesus is, is praying, but he's talking about being the vine and the branches. And I think if you've got a, a journal, if you've got some notes, just spend, I don't know, however much time you've got, just reading through John 15 and saying, Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me in this passage about my role in this church? Of what it means to, to be close to you in my loving relationship with you, God, but also my relationship with others. And then the second thing I'd suggest you do is, how can you nurture joy in your life? 
over the next couple of weeks, what is going to let joy grow and nurture in your heart and in your mind? Sometimes we're just too busy and we're just going from one thing to the other and we don't make those, those connections, those hesed, loving connections with friends or family that actually enable joy to ignite inside of, inside of us. And so it's no wonder when we come together and it's like we're joy drained rather than joy filled. What are those things that help joy grow in your life? And then thirdly, where do you fit into this loving family? What's your part here? What's your role here? Many people will go around different churches and say, what does this church do for me? And we very unusually ask, what can I do for this church? How can I love these people here? How can I commit to this loving family? How can I be a part of this loving family? But my prayer is that we would create an environment where people can truly grow up. And I think it starts with joy and it starts with love. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.